0: Well, as we wrap up this message series on the Lord's Prayer um, with the final message today, "Deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one." What you need to understand, of course, is that it really goes in tandem with what came right before it. "Lead us not into temptation," and if you were here, if you weren't here last week, uh, joining us in this series, that's okay. Basically, what we talked about last week was we talked about temptation is that we saw just how dangerous temptation really is, that it's not something to be taken lightly, but something to be very much taken seriously. And we started talking about how God is showing us, especially in the Lord's Prayer, to take our spiritual lives maybe more serious than we ever have in our lives. Because so many times, we tend to think that the biggest issue going on is just the biggest hiccup at work or the biggest relational drama that we have, some, some tangible, so to speak, circumstance in our life, when in reality, there is a spiritual war for your soul, going on behind the scenes that you and I are otherwise, without God's cluing us into, oblivious to. And so that's one of the reasons why you see again and again and again and again in the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, it's spiritually focused versus maybe physically focused. And so, lead us not into temptation. We saw that with this temptation that wants to cause you to fall, we saw that it is so much stronger than you, that it wants to kill you, and that The thing that makes it so crafty is that it's so often unseen by you. And so what we pray for, lead us not into temptation, is essentially a divine detour, right? We're we're asking God to put detours in our way that lead us around the temptation. And we said one of the remarkable things about that, that petition is we'll never know just how much God actually answers that petition because of just how much temptation he actually keeps away from our lives. And yet we kind of ended with a thought that said, but what about the temptation that he does not detour you from? What about the temptation that he allows to be put in your life, you didn't miss the detour sign, and he allows it for your good, because he uses all things for your good, Allows it to be able to refine you through a furnace of trial, so to speak? What about that temptation that he puts there to exercise your faith, exercise your faith muscles to to grow in your relationship with him? What do you do when you are smack dab in the sights of the evil one, Satan himself? Maybe that's where we should start with, with this petition, this final one in the Lord's Prayer us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What do you think about when you think of the evil one, aka Satan, aka the devil? Because much like we talked about with temptation last week, you've heard me say how conditioned we are, just kind of a natural process of being born and raised in the culture and the nation that we are uh, today. What do you think about when you think of the evil one? Do you kind of think this cartoon version of Satan, this guy in like red tights? with horns and a pitchfork, cracking jokes about, man, it's hot down here, right? Is that what you what you think of? Because, again, just like temptation last week, Jesus wants you to take him, needs you to take him way more seriously than that. You know, the greatest deception that he has pulled, especially in our nation, is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. Don't fall into that same trap. Even Even just thinking, like, yes, he is defeated, but he very much is a ferocious beast on a leash that needs to be taken very seriously. And something with that, a passage we mentioned last week, I'll I'll put it on the screen here this week. This is what Peter says about him. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like, Like, keep your spiritual guard up. Put your spiritual armor on if you want to attach Ephesians chapter 6 to it, right? Because the devil is like this lion who wants to pounce and attack and kill and devour your faith. Peter takes him seriously. The Bible takes him seriously. But you also know that he's not just a lion that you'd say, okay, I see him and I ignore him. No, he's a fallen angel, right? Which means he masquerades as an angel of light. He's cunning, he's crafty, he's sneaky, which is how Jesus talks about him, too. Jesus says, He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, a couple things I want to point out there. One, he, he says he's a liar and the father of lies. So his MO, the way he operates, is lying, right? There's no truth in him. He lies lies and deceives and lies and doesn't tell the truth and tells more lies but not just that he lies but he's the father of lies that no one lies better than he does he's the author the inventor the originator of it he knows it better than anybody else and how much has he had to practice this well from the beginning right like like go back all throughout history and what hasn't he seen he's seen it all billions and billions and billions of people, billions and billions and billions of sins, billions of times to snatch away people's faith because he is so good at his job. And what that means, when you put all of those thoughts together for you and I, what that means is that he knows exactly what to say to get you to fall. He knows how to take two toddlers— and cause them to fight and wrestle and punch and kick and scream and bite and blame it on the other person right he knows exactly what to say to teenagers if you're dating or you're thinking about dating he knows exactly what to whisper to get you to be tempted he knows how to talk to middle-aged moms and middle-aged dads the elderly who've got so much wisdom and life experience he knows how to push your buttons if you're in a position of leadership he knows exactly what to say and how to go about doing it in order to cause you to fall or, or do something that would just cause so much of a disaster. He knows. Like, he knows whoever you are and whatever it is that you do, he knows what to say because all he does is peddle lies to try to murder your faith. And underneath. Every lie that has caused evil into the world. Whether it's children disobeying their parents. Whether it's a sneak peek at those images or the videos. Whether it's an act of adultery. Whether it's a crime. Whether it's stealing. Whether it's murder. Whatever the evil is underneath every lie that has caused that evil is basically the exact same lie that Satan has used again and again and again to cause people to fall. And it's not complicated. It's actually really three simple words. God's not good. And maybe you're thinking, wow, what a what a bombshell to drop, pastor. God's not good. That's all Satan's got. That's really what you're trying to teach us today, that that's the temptation that he uses to cause us to fall and commit so many acts of evil. Uh, Some of you are conditioned that the moment I say, you know, hey, God is good, you're just conditioned to say all the time, right? And amen to that. I absolutely agree with that. So when you look at this, God's not good, how is that really like the lie to end all lies? And again, you go back to everything that we understand about Satan. He doesn't just come at you. Yeah, if he were to come at you and just say, hey, you know, God's not good, you would probably just say, I beg to differ and move on, right? No, he's cunning. He's crafty. He's way craftier than that. And to prove to you what I'm talking about, go back to that Genesis story. First two people who knew better than anybody else the goodness of God. How in the world are you going to get them to fall? So the prince of darkness slithers up to Eve. Eve. Did God really say, wow, you can't eat any, any of the fruit? And Eve kind of corrects him a little bit. No, no, we've got all these trees we can eat. All this, this massive garden he's given us to enjoy. Just this one, this one tree. Don't, don't touch it. And Satan says, well, what if what God said about you dying, what if that's not exactly true? What if instead he knows that when you eat it, you're going to be like him. And God's a little bit insecure. You know, I know he comes across as loving and everything, but he likes to be in a league all his own. And what if the thing that he says is actually for your good, is him holding out on you and some blessings that he didn't give to you? What if, what if God actually isn't as good as you think he is. And it turns out that is all that Satan needed to tempt those first two perfect people to sin, to fall into sin, and to allow the whole world to be cursed and to allow evil to come into the world, just to believe that maybe the father doesn't know what's best. And no matter what the temptation is, at the heart of it is those, that insinuation, God's not good. It is, it is Satan's one lie. It is his one-hit wonder that has been playing on repeat for generations and generations and generations. God's not good. The reason why you and I struggle so many times with temptation and evil is because, our first fill-in-the-blank, if you want to take notes, Satan gets us to ask, is God good? Is he good? Does the Father really know what's best for me? And it's not just a matter of well, I know the passages. I know the stories. I know the contrary. You do. We do. We confess it all the time in this place. You know, and I want you to continue to know the passages, and I want you to continue to know the stories. I absolutely do. We could we could sit here and say, well, we could recite all sorts of passages about loving your neighbor, praying for those who persecute you, taking care of the poor, the orphans, the widows, the, the foreigners, right? We could talk about prioritizing God and stewardship and generosity. We could go through the commandments, one through ten, and list off all of the sins and how God says, I I don't want you to do this because it's a blessing for you. And we could, it's not an ignorance problem. It's in the moment when we're confronted with this temptation, when we're confronted with this opportunity to take something from here to here, to actually go from just believing it in our heads to living it out functionally in our lives, that's an entirely different story. I think of one of the issues that like so many young people today when they start dating. Guy likes girl. Girl likes guy. Then the L word gets thrown around, love, right? And maybe some of the parents' eyes roll, but whatever, here it is, right? And then an outside urge and an inside urge from the world and from your own heart, just go for it. And I'm not just talking about sex, but I'm also talking about just, just moving in. Live together like so many people in this world to do today. What's keeping you from that? You know God's word. And you know he says, it's not good. I don't want you to do that. It's not something that I have designed for you. Don't shortcut the blessings of marriage. There's no shortcut to these blessings. This is for your good. Then you start thinking, well, two rents is just one? Man, that's a lot of money. Utilities and everything else that we could share well, kind of seems fiscally responsible if we did that. And, and then you think of all the friends and, and people and the neighbors that you know who are living this way, and it's not like they're, you know, demonic people. I mean, they're normal, everyday people. You know them, and they seem to be having a, a good time. And, and then you hear the thought, too, well, like, maybe it is kind of a trial run. You know, marriage is the one commitment for life, and yeah, maybe it would be good just to see if I can stand his or her annoying habits and ticks, and if I could actually live with this person for, for a long enough time. And, and you start doing this pros and cons list in your mind, and so it seems to be all these pros. And the one con, God, says no. And you look at the other side, and you think— and a thought is god good because it seems all of these good things over here god says no but maybe maybe god doesn't actually know what he's talking about here maybe he actually is withholding blessings maybe just maybe maybe he's really not good i, I knew a pastor who once said when he would uh, counsel couples in this situation, he would ha- he he used to come at things with like, I've got three, six, nine different passages that I would say, but he said over my experience, I've changed my entire approach just to ask one simple question. Do you believe God is good? It makes me think of my counseling when I talk to people about uh, wrestling with uh, hurt. But maybe you've got this wound that is still festering in the present, that started all the way from someone else in the past, and it cuts and it cuts deep. And you know what God says about forgiveness. I mean, we could go back just a couple weeks, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? And you know that God says, forgive one another as Christ, God forgave you, right? You know that the parables and the passages about how forgiveness is limitless and how it's unconditional. And then you think of the hurt and maybe the thought, God, what do you know? Not, not in this situation. Our God, I know what you say, but sometimes you got to give them a taste of their own medicine. Sometimes you've got to teach them a lesson or they'll never learn. It could be something as simple as the next drink that you may or may not get. The bar is open, the night is young, and you're at your limit, and you know you're in that space where if you start having more, the limits and the inhibitions start to come off, and you know God says, I hate it. I hate drunkenness. I can't stand it. It doesn't lead anywhere good. But then you look out at your friends, at what the party or whatever is going on, and you think, "Oh, contraire. <laughs> hey, they seem to be having a great time. And no one's getting hurt. And everyone seems to be okay. And there seems to be so much joy and happiness to be found there. But God says, no. I don't want you to do that. you think maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about here. Maybe the Father doesn't know what's best because it seems like there's so much to be had and it just seems a little oppressive. Does, Does God really know what he's talking about? Is God really good? Whatever the temptation is, at the heart of it, continues on this question again and again and again, an insinuation from Satan. God's not good. you really think God is actually good? And you could answer every temptation by answering that question from Satan. Is God good? Is he? Because if you say he is, you can resist that temptation. But if you don't think he is, if you look at what he calls bad as good, and what he calls good as bad, and if in the moment the circumstances seem justifiable and excusable, and then you'll succumb. And you'll fall. And this is why Jesus didn't just tell us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Because on your own, it is so difficult to resist that temptation, even when you know the pastors, even when you know the facts. It is so hard to resist the devil. And this is exactly why God gives us an answer. How can we be delivered from evil? How can we resist the devil? How can we know in the moment, not just here, but here, that God really is good, that the Father really does know what's best for us, that that his ways are right and good and just. How can we know that? How can we not just take the passages that we know up here, but actually live them out, use them to fight and resist the temptations? How can we give a rebuttal to Satan in this temptation when he asks us, is God really good? One-word answer. Jesus. And I know, just like Satan's masterclass lie isn't really that complicated, neither is the answer. In fact, that's our next point. Jesus proves God is so, so, so good. But the next time you're doing that pros and cons list in your mind, or the next time temptation says, would it be so bad, That Jesus is all the proof that you need to say no. God knows exactly what he's talking about. And God provides you a way out. And the way out is through Jesus. Not just when you are facing temptation, but even when you've fallen into evil. Jesus is the way out. And you see again how that's true going back to the first story of sin and temptation. If you were God, what would you have said to Adam and Eve? Like when they sin and when they, their evil paved the way for all the rest of the evil to come into the world. The wars, the murders, the miscarriages, the hatred, the racism and all the other isms and everything else out there. What would you say to those first two people? Because I'll be honest, I shudder to think what I would have said. And what God did was so good and proved that he is so good that the first thing he does is he goes to Satan as he's gloating in his victory. And he says, yeah, you may have won this battle, Satan, but I'm going to win the war. And I'm going to send a savior and he's going to crush your head. Make no mistake. This is as good as done because I've declared it. And even though Adam and Eve, they may have just thrown away my love for them, I'm not going to throw away my love for them. I'm going to prove how good I am. By sending them a Savior in the offspring that we know as Jesus. And Jesus is... Is the way that you're delivered that's how god delivers us from evil today by showing us again and again taking us to where to the foot of jesus cross because right there we see jesus submitting to the father for our sake right there we see jesus who loves the father more than anything else and trusts in his goodness that he's willing to be punished for all the times that you and i Think that the Father is anything less than good. Think that the Father has anything but our best interests in mind. Every time it was all put on Jesus. And He takes us back there again and again and again to show us, to help us in the fight. That when Satan is there and He is telling you, hey, no, God doesn't know what He's talking about, this is actually for your good, you can say, no, Jesus. Jesus is proof that God knows exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is proof that the Father does know what's best. Jesus is proof that God is so, so good. So Satan, no. You know, I may not understand why God is telling me to resist this sin or to say no to this. I may want to wonder more, like, why God? Why this? But guess what? I don't need to. Because Jesus. Because I can look at him and say that's all the proof that I need to know that if God said it, then it's good. And this... Situation may seem justifiable and it may seem like I've got some good excuses contextually. Nope. Nope. I'm going to say no. Because when I look at Jesus, I know that what my God says is good and I'm going to trust in him and when hasn't he provided for me, he's going to take care of me in this situation. And I know these words and this situation and this opportunity, I could do those things. But Jesus, no, Jesus all the proof that I need. The Father knows what's best. So I resist you, Satan. James, Jesus' half-brother, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How can you resist the devil every day? Here's what I want you to do. Live every day at the foot of the cross. And sometimes we sing that, but I hope you visualize that. Visualize it. Living every day, every moment at the foot of the cross of the cross. Because when you visualize that, the next time that temptation to say, do, think, act, whatever it is, is going to come, and Satan wants to get you to think God maybe isn't good, the Father doesn't know what's best. All you have to do is look up. And you will see your savior giving his life for you. What more proof do you need? And you can resist those lies and say, No, no, no. Jesus is proof that my God is good. And I'm not going to go anywhere but stay right here so that I can keep looking up and see a visual proof that the Father knows. Best. Amen. Please stand. We'll continue for our confession of faith. Uh, we're wrapping up Luther's small catechism on the petitions and also um, the uh, doxology that he gives at the end of this prayer. Join with me. But deliver us from evil. What does this mean? In conclusion, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven, would deliver us from every evil that threatens body and soul, property and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. WHAT DOES THIS MEAN? WE CAN BE SURE THAT THESE PETITIONS ARE ACCEPTABLE